Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. It's that. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian's not optional. Cause when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our affections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Welcome to another edition of Theology Matters with the Blues. I'm your host, Devin Palou, and that is what we try and do here. Make sure that our theology is biblical. Been doing this show now for about five years, maybe six. Uh, lose track, but um, 
If this is your first time joining us, uh, Theology Matters with the Palu is a podcast where we really try and focus in on a lot of issues dealing with theology, dealing with philosophy, uh, dealing with apologetics, and uh, have had had really good um, really good uh, guests on the show, and uh, have had a lot a uh, lot of people listening in and a lot of people uh, writing us and asking for uh, for more guests to come in. And so uh, we're going to definitely uh, be doing that. And uh, today's going to be a great show. We're going to have returning with us uh, our good friend, Pastor Jason Wallace at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City. He uh, has been the host of the very popular show in YouTube uh, in Utah where he is pastoring called The Ancient Paths, and he has released uh, several videos dealing with atheism, dealing with Mormonism, and uh, today we're going to be looking at his latest video called uh, After Mormonism, Now What? And so uh, stay with us for that. With the first part uh, of the show, we are going to bring on uh, one of my good friends and uh, one of my actually professors at Southern Evangelical Seminary. And so you're going to want to stay tuned for that interview as well. Quickly, before we get started, if you've not liked us on Facebook, uh, you can go to Theology Matters with the Palouse. And on, on that site, you'll find, uh, again, shows we've done for five years. Uh, probably some of our most popular shows we do is uh, the debates. And we've hosted several of them with, between uh, Roman Catholic and Protestant, uh, between atheist and theist. Uh, we've done pro-life versus pro-choice. Um, really excited that we've actually got two debates, uh, hopefully, that we're going to be hosting in October. Um, we hosted a debate a while back uh, between um, Nathan Taylor, who is a uh, Presbyterian pastor and, and uh, just a brilliant guy. He's got an MDiv from Westminster. He's got an MA in philosophy from Talbot. And we had him um, do a informal discussion. Uh, with a friend named Gary Andriano, who had uh, fairly recently converted to Orthodoxy. And uh, a lot of Orthodox people were not too happy with the way that discussion went, and um, and that's fine. Uh, they wanted to have somebody that may have a little more training and a little more education in, in the Orthodox faith. Uh, and so I have reached out to a very, very popular uh, guy, I'm not going to give his name out uh, yet. Just want to make sure we get it cemented. Uh, but he's very, very well known in uh, ancient faith radio, and and uh, one of the probably one of the up and coming apologists for the Orthodox faith. And so uh, he has agreed to come on and do a discussion uh, with Nate and uh, just look at some of the differences and some of the agreements. Uh, so that'll be good, and have also, uh, I think, pretty much have this uh, debate cemented with uh, Jordan Cooper, who's a Lutheran uh, pastor, really, really good guy. He's got a great podcast uh, called Justin Center. Really uh, brilliant guy. He had participated in a in a debate um, probably a month or two ago on the issue of limited atonement. And uh, he did this debate with a, with a reformed guy, and um, a lot of people really complained about that debate as well. That one actually was not on our show. 
Uh, but I've contacted him, and we're trying to set up a debate uh, for that as well. So we're looking at two debates in the future, so just uh, keep that on the horizon. Uh, well, let me go ahead and bring on uh, our first guest now, uh, Professor Jeff Lenhart. And Jeff is a director of the online education at Southern Evangelical Seminary in Matthews, North Carolina. Uh, he was originally from Canada, and he earned a master's degree in SES, from SES. Uh, in philosophy and biblical studies, and uh, his academic interests lie in the philosophy of language, and particularly as that relates to biblical hermeneutics. Uh, He's an active speaker, preacher, and lecturer, Uh, and he's going to be talking a little bit about the informational open house uh, event that's coming up, as well as some of the the programs that offered at SES. Quick, quick note, too. We've had several of our SES uh, professors and students on the show. Um, if you guys want to hear a really good debate uh, on apologetic methodolo- methodology, we actually had uh, Dr. Brian Huffling on the show and did a, did a debate with Zach Hicks. So you can find that. Just Google um, Brian Huffling, Theology Matters with the Police, and you can see just kind of the caliber of people that SES really produces. So, uh, Professor Lenhart, are you there? Yes, I am, Devin. And I just got to correct you um, right okay. off, off the top there. I'm not a professor. I'm I'm only an instructor. Uh, okay. I haven't secured my Ph.D. yet, so I, I don't want to uh, assume any position there. I'm just a lowly instructor still. That's all right. That that is uh, that is okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining <laughs> us today. I really do. Appreciate that. Uh, it's kind of an odd time for us to do the show, but I uh, wanted to get you on. So I love SES. I've been, uh, you know, involved with SES since probably 2002 uh, when when I first started um, taking free free classes there. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about SES and just, you know, what is it you want people to know about it, and then uh, maybe we can look at some of the the degrees and stuff like that, some of the programs that that uh, you guys offer. Sure. Well, once again, thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to represent Southern Evangelical Seminary here. Uh, We are excited about our upcoming year. Uh, This is our 25th year in existence. Um, And we are a school that exists to promote apologetics uh, and evangelism. Um, We we specialize in the areas of of philosophy and biblical studies as well. Uh, I did my M.A., in both philosophy and biblical studies, um, because I'm convinced that those are two necessary components in order, in order to have a sound theology. Um, but uh, SES is, uh, as you know, being a student here, uh, we're committed to uh, in an orthodox Christianity. Uh, we're committed to uh, classical theism. Uh, and, and we're committed to promoting a, a methodology of classical apologetics. Um, and we're going to be having this informational open house on August 5th, which we're really excited to, to do. And during that, that open house, we're going to promote some of our um, some new programs that are going to be offered, which I can't share yet today, um, as far as um, student incentives. Uh, but also um, promote our new upcoming online program that we'll be rolling out this fall. <clears throat> wow, that's that sounds like a power-packed, power-packed <laughs> fall coming up. 
Um, I've been been at a couple of these open houses, and it, it is a it is a great time. Um, give us the, the the location for those uh, who are not too familiar with SES. Where exactly is it located at? Yeah, so we're located in Matthews, North Carolina. Um, if you're local to the area, we're on Tilly Morris Road. Um, you can find out the information there on our website, which is ses.edu. Uh, and one of the great things about the open house is that you can attend uh, online or in person. Um, so you can actually live stream the event uh, to find out oh, if, you're, cool. if, if you're interested in our online programs. Um, but one thing that we're going to be doing this year with our open house is immediately following the open house, we're going to have a, an, a team event. Uh, team is a uh, sort of the ministry branch of the, the seminary here. Um, which will be addressing the issue of God, sex, and gender. Um, kind of a hot-button topic, uh, especially right yeah. now in, in the area. Um, and we're going to have Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Frank Turek, Dr. Richard Land, wow. uh, some of our own, Dr. J.T. Bridges, and Nora Hale, uh-huh. and Adam Tucker, and Diana Newman, um, addressing yeah. this issue. And it's going to be a it's going to be a long day. Go, that event will run from 1230 to about 645, and it's it's finishing actually with a debate between doctors Michael Brown and, and Frank Turek uh, as a team uh, debating against the Reverend April Johnson and the Reverend Ladale Benson. Uh, and they'll be discussing uh, for that debate, uh, they'll be discussing uh, the question, what exactly is love? <clears throat> so wow. it should be a, a, a good energetic day. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the more frustrating things for me is, uh, man, I wish people knew when when you mentioned the names of you know uh, Professor you know J T Bridges and uh, Diana Newman and Adam Tucker, wish I wish people knew just how brilliant these guys were and, and are, and just yeah. what fantastic speakers that they are. Um, SES is uh, it's hard to explain because it's it's it, well I guess I, that's why I have you here. <laughs> why is SES different than a lot of the other seminaries? And we're not saying that the other seminaries are not needed, but if you're somebody that has a bent towards apologetics, why why SES? Why not some of these other you know bigger named seminaries? That's a fantastic question. Um, when you look at the different seminaries and, and Bible colleges around who offer programs similar to ours, um, what you'll find is that a lot of these programs don't have a consistent methodology. So you'll be getting sort of a shotgun approach as to how to approach your apologetics. Uh, what we have here, which is unique to SES, is a consistent philosophical commitment to scholastic realism. And that is a term that most people will not know or understand at this point, um, probably don't have time to get into that, but uh, we have a philosophical commitment uh, which grounds everything that we do. And so our, our apologetics is, um, uh, is uh, coming from a classical apologetic methodology. We're committed to this, um, this approach, and our apologetics actually uh, is interweaved with theology and philosophy, uh, and our, our biblical studies program is interweaved with uh, apologetics and philosophy. 
Um, our philosophy program is interweaved with apologetics and biblical studies as well. Uh, you get theology, you get philosophy, you get apologetics in everything that we do. It's a very well integrated uh, program of education so that you'll, the, the, the individual courses that you take uh, aren't disconnected from one another but they actually work hand-in-hand uh, hand with one another to further you in your ability to uh, defend the, the faith and, and proclaim the gospel. Amen. That's great. Uh, let me give you a little pushback, because some people are going to say, well, why do we need to study philosophy in seminary? It's, you know, you just, you're supposed to go study the Bible. Colossians 2.8 warns against philosophy. So why would we? Why would I go to seminary to learn philosophy? Should I just study God's word? Sure, that's a another great question, and um, you've already mentioned my interest in philosophy of language and, and hermeneutics. Um, hermeneutics is the science and art of interpretation. Uh, one of the areas that is most alarming to me, uh, I'm. I'm primarily a biblical studies guy. I, I love the Bible. I just am very interested in knowing and understanding what God's Word has to, st has to say. Uh, but one of the areas that is most alarming to me right now is the lack of conservative evangelical Christians who are in the public square who really adhere to uh, the objectivity uh, of the uh, meaning of, of the biblical text. And, and what I mean by that is that uh, while many give lip service to the idea that there is just one meaning uh, in, the, in the biblical text, uh, when they actually get around to discussing their philosophy behind their hermeneutics, and everyone does philosophy, and um, other Bible colleges and seminaries incorporate philosophy whether or not they explicitly name it. Uh, but when right. they actually get down to their to their philosophical um, commitments in hermeneutics, they've actually given up the the uh, objectivity of the text, and they um, place some amounts of subjectivity into the into their area of inter interpretation. They actually have lost the foundation. In fact, one of the a startling um, a startling blog article that I wrote from a prominent evangelical scholar, and I won't name his name right now, but um, he mentions that in defense of um, the the Lycona issue with the inerrancy of Scripture, he mentions, uh, he, he makes this statement. He says that um, although there are men, many near consensus of interpretations among evangelicals, to hold up one interpretation of the text over others is to hold up tradition over the text. And what he's done what he's done there is state that basically we cannot know what the meaning of the text is. To hold up any one interpretation as better than, than another interpretation of the text is to um, promote your tradition over the text itself. Well, if you can't hold one interpretation over um, over another as being true, then we have a complete inability to answer uh, aberrant theology. Uh, we can't answer feminist theology or queer theology or, or these other um, uh, approaches to theology which are uh, abhorrent to an orthodox theology. Uh, and so what is it that preserves us from, uh, from being in that state? Well, it's understanding and having a sound 
a philosophical commitment, a philosophical foundation for how we come to know things, how we can interpret the Bible, what is communication, uh, all of these different areas. That's right, and that's uh, it is one of the reasons I just love SES. And uh, you know, I, folks, I grew up in the in the church, you know, my whole life, and uh, my father was a was a pastor, and I never ever encountered apologetics. And um, I just I remember it was a it was a thirty second conversation uh, with a friend uh, Prem Isaac, and I, I'm sure you know you know Prem. He's been on the show several times, but, uh, you know, we were at a wedding together and, uh, you know, I just had barely known him at the time and, uh, we're at the same church. And, uh, I just remember him just taking, you know, 30 seconds to 30 to 45 seconds telling me about SES and, and, uh, what you guys do. And, uh, just changed my life. God used that you know, very simple and quick conversation to change my life and uh, to turn me, um, kind of turn my passions and my love and and uh, that that I have towards him in pursuing, um, you know, studying apologetics. And so, um, you know, maybe that's maybe that's some of you guys out there that you love apologetics. It's it's more than just something that's a hobby. It's a passion. It's something you would you know would love to be able to learn and and. Uh, and to delve into more, you're not going to get a better school than SES. Um, and I was telling, I, telling I Adam that, you know, if, uh, even if I had endless resources, there would not be another school I'd rather go. So um, it's, it's the same thing for me. You know, I, I was living in South Korea at the time, um, and I, I made an agreement with my wife. We, we got married in, in 2008. My wife is a Korean citizen. We were living in South Korea. We got married in 2008, and I had an agreement with my wife that within five years of marriage, we would move uh, to North America, and I would start seminary. And uh, we made it four years, and, and we ended up coming to Charlotte, North Carolina, to attend SES. And it was, you know, it's interesting, it was a, it was a financial decision that we made, because SES is far cheaper than uh, the other seminaries that I was, I was uh, seriously considering. Uh, but now that I've been here, um, I don't ever want to leave this place. Um, the uh, I, I I find that it's uh, I, I'm thankful for the Lord for His providence in bringing me here uh, because I would not have had the sound, same foundation um, if I would have gone elsewhere. I, I don't know where I would be uh, in as far as my theology and, and philosophy. Um, what SES has given to me has completely changed my life just like you said as well um and and so you know if you do have any listeners who are out there who are interested in the seminary i do highly encourage you to uh attend the open house august 5th um and once again that url is ses.edu forward slash open house yeah and and some of our listeners may not be aware but uh it was dr norman geisler uh who really uh, was one of the founders uh, of yep. SES, and anybody that knows anything about apologetics knows just uh, you know basically Dr. Geisler has trained uh, anybody and everybody. Anybody who is uh, you know a, an apologist has pretty much sat under Dr. Geisler, uh, and yep. uh, the man is just just brilliant, and he's he's had such an impact uh, on my life as well. Um, did as, you want to mention Frank Durick about- says he. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, I was say, as, no. as Frank Turek says, uh, it seems like books just fall out of his head. Um, yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll actually be there for the open house as well. Dr. Geisler will be. Oh, that's wonderful. Did you want to take a, a few minutes to talk about the apologetics uh, conference coming up? Uh, certainly. Um, the apologetics conference is October 13th and 14th. Um, it's going to be a great time. We have, uh, I think there's something somewhere between 60 and 80 workshops that are, are being offered. Um, and of course we have some of the, the biggest names, uh, in the apologetics world, uh, who will be attending the conference and, and speaking at the conference. Uh, some of those are, uh, Michael Brown, Gary Habermas, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, Jay Richards, Jay Warner Wallace, Frank Turek, Q. Ross, you can keep going, Richard Land, um, Norm Geisler will be there. Uh, and this year, actually, we're going to have a debate. Again, this seems to be a theme here. Uh, with uh, Richard Howe and um, now the guy's name is escaping me, um, Dan Barker, the, uh, who's the president of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Uh, so we're going to see apologetics in action. Uh, and also, Dr. Richard Howe will be having an informal dialogue with uh, Ken Ham uh, about apologetic methodology. That will be that will be worth going to the conference just to uh, just to see that. And you know, me and my wife have have uh, been going to the conference for the last and probably five or six, I think I think two thousand. It was right after Ravi Zacharias had came uh, is when we really got involved with that. But we've been going for five or six years straight. It's it's the highlight of our year. Um, see all of our old friends, and it's just uh, it's it's like the Super Bowl <laughs> weekend yeah. of, a, of apologetics. Well, um, yeah, and you've been there since 2005. Is that what you just said? Well, I think it was – I can't remember the year that Robbie uh, had came to the, the the apologetics conference. We started going right after that. That's when we started going okay. to the conference. Yeah, because you've, so, yeah. you've been at the uh, – you've been at SES for quite some time. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, since like probably – because I moved here in 04, probably right around 06, uh, we started taking um, – they had what was called the Institute for Biblical Studies – and uh, Larry Blythe and uh, a few others. Uh, in fact, all the all the old goodies, Lanny Lanny Wilson and a uh, bunch of them were were teaching the classes. They were all still working on their masters. And uh, Simon Brace, you know, uh, really encouraged me to uh, start pursuing a, a degree. And Professor Jason Reed and and that so. Yeah, I've been been involved for years, guys, and you know it's not uh, I'm not getting paid or anything like that uh, by SES. I'm just I'm really passionate about it because I've seen how many lives you know have been affected through yeah. seeing just good, true, clear um, theology that just cuts through so much of the smoke and haze and uh, confusion. Well, let me, let me ask you this question: Who is your favorite professor? Let me put you on the spot there. Who's <laughs> or, or let me put let me put it this way: uh, for anyone out there who's interested in SES, who do you think they should definitely take classes uh, from? 
Oh, you got to do Doctor How, right? Got to do, got to do Doctor Richard How. There you well, go. Well, both. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. They're all so good. You know, they're 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 all incredible. And that's like I say, that's one of the frustrating things. Is I wish people could just know how how brilliant uh, the faculty at SES yep. is. There's a lot of big names that everybody knows, but man, I would put the faculty at SES up against any any anybody. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, let brilliant. let me take this opportunity to tell you about something that's kind of exciting. So I, I mentioned it at the front, um, our new online program. Uh, basically, we have been working tirelessly um, in the online department. I'm the director of online education here, and uh, we're, we're releasing this fall is our first batch of new online courses. One of those courses is AP 511 Christian Apologetic Systems with Dr. Richard Howe. Uh, oh. We've got him for an online course. And I've seen some of the the, uh, the lecture videos. <laughs> it is it is amazing. Uh, the the course perfectly suits his uh, his personality. Uh, it's an amazing course, and I'm really excited that we're we're starting to roll this out. Uh, one of the things that we really took a look at when I first took over as the director of online education is how we approach our online education, um, because I can tell you matter of factly. Uh, while working as an instructional designer and, and learning the field of instructional design, um, I found out that all of the uh, instructional design methodologies were committed to a philosophy called constructivism, which we are adamantly opposed to uh, here at the uh, the seminary. And if you're interested in that topic, we have a blog and a podcast available on uh, Christian education up at SES.edu. But basically what we're doing with our online program is we are committed to a classical philosophy of education and incorporating that into our online uh, courses. It's something that looks like no other online program in the world. And uh, we're really excited to start releasing that uh, this fall uh, with a few courses, and we're hoping to have uh, the MA philosophy and the MA apologetics completely finished uh, within two uh, academic years. But uh, I'm excited for that, so check it out if you if you have the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, give us uh, give us again the um, the uh, website for SES and then uh, the date and that for the open house and the, and the apologetics conference. Okay, great. The uh, website for the seminary is ses.edu, uh, and the uh, the open house is August 5th, beginning at 9.30, uh, with the God, Sex, and Gender event following after at uh, 12.30. Um, you can register for the uh, for the open house at ses.edu forward slash open house. And if you go to our webpage, you'll be able to find both the open house and the God, Sex, and Gender event. You can register for the conference uh, October 13th and 14th at conference.ses.edu. And there is, uh, if I recall, there's a discount for homeschoolers. Is that is that correct? That's correct. There's a 50% discount for homeschoolers. I, there's also a discount. I think it's a 50% discount for skeptics. And uh, I forgot to mention, and I'm glad I remember now, otherwise Adam would have killed me, the early bird pricing ends August 1st. So if you register before August 1st, you'll get a, a special early bird discount. 
Wow. Well, phenomenal. And uh, we're looking forward to the, the the open house and the conference and a lot of exciting things going on uh, at SES. And uh, again, we just, we love the school and, and the professors, the students, it's just uh, one of the greatest, really one of the best things that uh, has ever happened uh, in our lives was being put in connection with, with SES. It's, it's been a, a total life changer for us. So uh, we, we plan on having you back on the show here again, uh, hopefully in the near future, Mr. Lenhart, and uh, figure out a topic for us to do and, uh, and be able to, to pick your brain a little more. All right. Thanks so much, Devin. All right. God bless. Yeah, you, you as well. All right. All righty. All right, folks. Uh, stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we're going to have um, Pastor Jason Wallace is going to be with us, and we're going to look at a new video that he's been doing uh, that they have produced uh, called After Mormonism, Now What? This is going to be a very important uh, topic, and so... Really, really looking forward to this, and uh, we'll be taking your calls uh, also at 760-542-3907, 760-542-3907. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author Dr. John Ankerberg. Some Christians are uninterested in the secular philosophical ideas taught in our universities because they seem unimportant. But is it right to ignore these ideas? I believe we do so to our detriment. Ideas being debated in our colleges and universities will eventually make their way to our government leaders and spread throughout society. The great Princeton theologian J. Gresham Machen once said, What is today a matter of academic speculation begins tomorrow to move armies and pull down empires. As Christians, we must not stand by and allow unbiblical ideas to gain ground. Jesus insisted that we love God with our minds. It is part of our duty to engage the world of ideas with biblical truth. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. Having talked about expositional preaching, I don't want people to think it doesn't matter what you're actually saying that the only thing that matters is that you're opening the Bible, reading it, and claiming you're explaining it. Now, I want to kind of nail down the product as well. I want to make sure that what you're saying is actually consistent with what is in the Bible. Because the Bible has very specific content. God speaks through his word to reveal himself to us. And that means we can get it wrong. So in our preaching and in our teaching in our churches, we want to make sure and get it right. The term biblical theology can be used in two ways, either theology that's biblical some people sometimes call systematic theology, or uh, biblical theology, which is a, a method of studying the scriptures as one story culminating in the person work of Christ. God has revealed himself progressively through scripture. So there's a picture being built up through thousands of years of God's interaction with his people, culminating in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and seeing how all God's purposes come together and focus in Christ. It's as we have a sense of the, of the whole of Scripture that we're able to rightly then sort of divide and apply the parts of Scripture and to live more consistently uh, in God's will and uh, to live more consistently uh, by His grace. I think it's extremely important for pastors to know 
how the entire story of the Bible fits together. So that any particular text that they're looking at, uh, they not only understand the, the immediate meaning of that text, they understand how it fits into the whole. That prevents us from, from doing all sorts of terrible things to Scripture, like ripping things out of context, misapplying, uh, making false promises. So biblical theology is understanding these great themes through the Scripture that God has developed in history, you know, through the history of Israel and then in the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the apostles that's recorded in the rest of the New Testament, and teaching those things clearly in our, our preaching and believing them ourselves. All right, folks, welcome back to Theology Matters with the Plu. That's actually an excerpt from uh, some of the guys at Nine Marks there. Nine Marks is a great uh, ministry, one that I believe in uh, a lot. You know, I believe, believe that apologetics is very necessary for the church. I think it's it's uh, Christians need it, especially uh, in today's culture. Uh, a lot of times, though, you can... You can have churches that sometimes will do uh, pretty decent with apologetics, but uh, sometimes not do real good with their theology and uh, really what makes a healthy church. And then there's a lot of churches that can do uh, decent theology and uh, etc., but uh, sometimes uh, not very balanced in their apologetics or have no apologetics whatsoever. And so I think it's important to be able to kind of bring the two worlds together, that a good, healthy church and good sound theology um, will be balanced. I highly recommend, again, the ministry of, of Nine Marks. Uh, for those interested, I think in September up at uh, southeastern uh, Wake Forest area, uh, they're going to be doing their annual Nine Marks conference. And uh, trying to remember what the exact one will be this year. Uh, but I've been to two or three of them now, and uh, it's a great time. Uh, really, really cool, you know, really cool to be able to, to uh, see guys like uh, Mark Dever and Alistair Begg and Ligon Duncan and these guys, uh, even across denominational lines, uh, Presbyterians, Baptists, etc. cetera. Uh, just, just talk about what is a healthy church. So, uh, check out uh, Nine Marks Ministry, phenomenal, phenomenal ministry. In fact, we've had Jonathan Lehman uh, on the show and uh, talk about uh, the need for good theology and apologetics. So with that said, um, let's bring on our second guest now. Uh, we're going to be joined by Pastor Jason Wallace of Christ Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City. And uh, we've had Pastor... Pastor Jason on several times in the past. He's uh, actually a guest that uh, people really like having on the show, and so uh, we we're blessed to be able to uh, to get him to come back on. Pastor Wallace has participated in and moderated numerous debates on the topic of Mormonism and other topics as well. Uh, no atheism and. Uh, have seen a few of his discussions with uh, the LGBT and homosexual issues, uh, and so he's he knows a lot of good stuff. He's he's uh, full of full of good information. So today we're going to talk about the new video released by Ancient Paths titled "After Mormonism, Now What." So we're looking forward to this, to this discussion. Uh, Pastor Jason, are you with us? I'm here. Great to be with you, Devin. Yeah, great to have you. Appreciate you always uh, coming on and, and uh, sharing all your knowledge with us. 
I'm not sure how much I have to share, but uh, it's a privilege to be with you. Yeah, amen. So you guys, uh, so you're you're no longer doing the the television show, is that correct? The Ancient Past television show. Yeah, uh, we've been off the air for uh, two years. Next month, uh, the we had seven and a half years of it, but they sold the station, and it's now Telemundo. And uh, it was a very special arrangement that allowed us, with very limited resources, to do that show. Uh, we had an hour of prime time on Wednesday nights where uh, we were, I was able to do instruction, but I also did interviews with uh, Mormons. With uh, I had an instructor from the LDS Institute of Religion on there, I think, 14 times over the years to discuss various things. Wow. Uh, uh, we had the president of the Atheist of Utah on a couple of times. Um, had people from LDS splinter groups. Uh, had an interview with someone from PETA one time, which beforehand people, uh, a couple of folks asked me, said, you know, how is that religious? I said, just watch it. It's it's very religious. And wow. um, So, yeah, we, we uh, had fun with that for seven and a half years, and then when the station was sold, we started doing um, more intensive videos for, for YouTube. Uh, and we started that. We released the first one in April of last year. Well, yeah. Well, some of the, uh, of the you've done. No, you've done several. Yeah. The the first one was uh, it was a two hour um, video called an earnest plea to Latter Day Saints, and you can see that in all our LDS videos at LDS dot video, and it. Basically, the first 45 minutes deals with five lies from history, and then the last hour and 15 minutes, three lies compared to the scriptures. And those three lies are uh, that God is an exalted man, Adam sinned that man might be, and the LDS Church preaches the restored gospel. And so we try to basically shake them up a bit, showing their own sources contradicting one another over things like polygamy, blacks in the priesthood and such. And then we try to show them the biblical gospel in comparison uh, to what to what their prophets teach. And we released that April of last year, and we're pushing 18,000 views on that. Wow. And, you know, the, the show that we did for seven and a half years was basically just a call-in show. I mean, it was television and televised, but... Um, you know, we, we've tried to make more documentary-style uh, evangelical videos. And we followed that up with The God of Brigham Young, uh, which is a 30-minute video dealing with his teaching that Adam is our God and how he taught that for over two decades. And we show Mormon sources contradicting each other on that. Uh, then we've got a short video called The Vanishing Lamanites, and we show how the Mormon prophets used to be very, very clear the American Indians were all Lamanites. And um, basically look at their claims in the past versus what they're having to admit now in the face of DNA and other things. Uh, we did another one was the burning in your bosom from God, and we showed that this isn't how you know truth. And then the magical Mormon scriptures, you know, showing 
just the radical changes in their scriptures. And then we right. turned out one. We, we turned out another. A lot of folks are leaving Mormonism, so we did. Uh, most of them are going atheist. So we did one called After Mormonism, After Mormonism Atheism, and showed that if you hold atheism to the same critique as Mormonism, you, you find out it's a lie as well. And then this latest one is a follow-up to that. After Mormonism, now what? And I can tell you more about that. Yeah, that's that's excellent. And the videos are, are very well done. Uh, we we put them on our Theology Matters page several times and my, my, my own personal page. And um, they're very well done. And uh, I think that they're, they're done in a way that is uh, – you know, respectful. It's it's probably going to uh, you know ruffle the feathers of the diehards, which you know I understand. But uh, you know, it's not. Uh, you know, they're going to of course say it's anti-Mormon propaganda, but I, I think it's it's fair. I think it's balanced, and uh, you know, encourage people to to look into that. So I was in, kind of um, intrigued. You know, you were saying, uh, and uh, I know your last video dealt with this um that a lot of people when they leave mormonism actually go to atheism um talk about that maybe for for a few minutes because i think that's that might be surprising to a lot of people and uh and uh your thoughts on that well my view is basically mormonism is atheism because this this goes back to the old Mm -hmm. Second century apologists, they they argued that Zeus and Apollo were not gods. You know, they were just big men, and that when Christ, when the early Christians were being accused of being atheists, the the second century apologists said, "We're not the atheists. You're the atheists. Your gods are no god. If your if your god is basically a Superman, a, an exalted man who has who is." Roughly six foot two, and um, has superpowers, but um, that's it. That's not the God of the Bible, right? And when people, when in their view, their God is one among multitudes of gods, and they're going to become gods themselves someday. And so, if that's your view, when you find out that the Mormon Church has been lying to you, it's not a great leap to then give up on any kind of God because they never really believed in a God as the Bible describes him in the first place. And so... um, Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yep. Mormonism drills into you that if they're not true, no one is true. Uh, And And that atheism is the only real option left. And so a lot of former Mormons, when they realize the church is lying to them, and that's not very hard, then they've been, it's been drilled into them. Uh, if they're not true, no one else is, and therefore atheism is the only legitimate option. And part of it is, I think... Uh, maybe we can talk about this for a few minutes. Uh, maybe for those who've not caught our, our uh, other shows that we've done uh, on Mormonism, maybe you could talk about this for a few minutes. I know there's a lot of confusion with the issue of language. 
Um, I've had several people, uh, even a very close family member, I remember reaching out to me saying, uh, why don't we consider Mormons our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because they, they say they believe in Jesus. They believe the Bible is the word of God. They pray to God the Father. Uh, they believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, are, are you guys just, you know, are we being too, too caught up in semantics? Um, but talk about that maybe a little bit for those who, who uh, have met, met with Mormons and have had those conversations and are kind of wondering as to whether or not they should consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, one example I use with folks is um, the Supreme Court's view of the Constitution. The uh, all the Supreme Court judges have vowed to uh, basically judge according to the Constitution, yet they have very different understandings of it. And the reality is, when you look at how they read the Constitution, you find out that uh, they're that most of them are fairly straightforward. They don't really submit to the Constitution. Uh, they they interpret it in the light of a very different worldview than it was written. They they view it as a living document that changes according to popular opinion or their own wills or whatever. Mormons claim they believe the Bible. Um, they really don't. They believe the parts that agree with their living prophet. Um, wherever it disagrees with their prophet, the Bible's wrong. So any group can say that. Muslims claim that they believe, I mean, uh, will say they believe the Bible, where it agrees with their prophet, where it disagrees, the Bible's wrong. Muslims say they believe in Jesus. Uh, years ago, I went to a presentation at the, the University of Utah, and a Muslim imam was up there saying, uh, and the title of the, of the seminar was, We Believe in Jesus Too. Wow. And it basically meant to build a bridge and after he made his presentation there was a time for for questions I asked him I said you know isn't it true that your Jesus is not the son of God he was never crucified and he never rose from the dead and he said yes how can you say that we have the same Jesus the differences between Christianity and Islam are less than the differences between Christianity and Mormonism. Wow. Though Mormonism would admit to some of the things that Muslims deny, their God, uh, the Father, Elohim, is an exalted man who who proved his worthiness to become a God through obedience to law. Uh, and we came from a planet near the star Co-op. That, that's not the God of the Bible. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, I, 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 I ask Mormons, more, for the last 25, 30 years, Mormons have taken a very different approach, trying to say, you know, before a lot of Mormons would say, we're not Christians, we're Mormons. And they were very, back during the days of, Bruce McConkie and uh, Spencer W. Kimball, there was was clear demarcation between Mormonism and everybody else. With Gordon B. Hinckley becoming the prophet, 
they repackage themselves. At least they change their, their public face. And they um, basically played the victim and said, why wouldn't you say that we're Christians? Right. And, you, know, you, you speak to a typical Mormon, they'll say, oh, we believe the Bible. You say, well, what about salvation? You believe that salvation is by grace through faith? Yes, yes, we do. And evangelicals can come away feeling, well, they're not really that different from us until you realize that every term you've used has a very unbiblical definition. They're, what they mean by God is not what the Bible means by God. What they mean by sin is, what, is not what the Bible means by sin. What they mean by grace is not what the, the Bible means by grace. I mean, you go down the list. I, I've asked Mormons, you know, if I told you that I believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, would you think I was a Mormon? They say, yes. You know, then you point out, well, what about the polygamists? All shoots. They're like, well, no, they're not really Mormon. Like, okay, well, what about if I, um, uh, what about if I told you that I believed that Joseph Smith um, was born in Vermont, his family moved to New York, married a woman named uh, Emma, and, you know, would you feel better about things? And they're like, yes. I said, but what if I went on to tell you that the Joseph Smith that I believe is a prophet of God is a black man living in Kearns, Utah today? Would you mm. understand that despite all the similarities, I've just crossed the line, and we're talking about mutually exclusive Joseph Smith. This is not the Joseph Smith who was killed in the Carthage jail in 1844. Mormonism has the wrong God and the wrong gospel. Um, salvation is not a matter of a theology test, but there is a qualitative difference between knowing the real God and worshiping Baal under the name of Jesus. If you change the name from, from, from Baal to Jesus, it doesn't make him Jesus. And the reality is that the God of Mormonism is much more akin to a Canaanite fertility cult than he is to the God of the Bible. Wow. That's uh, that's that's strong language, but uh, I think it is. I think it's correct. I don't know how you know. I don't know how you how how, how people can deny that. You know, just the nature of their of their um, of who they think God is. Um, have you have you noticed? Uh, have you seen a lot of the evolution in Mormon theology? Uh, I know. Dr. White had did a debate um, not too long ago, I think, or dialogue uh, with a with a Mormon apologist, and he was just saying how much the uh, theology had evolved even within the last you know twenty twenty five years. Have you you yourself kind of seen that? And uh, maybe what are some of the the things that you've seen kind of change? Yeah, we we actually uh, put together that dialogue last year uh, oh, between okay. between Dr. White and Alma Allred. Alma yeah. was actually the who had been on our show that I referenced earlier 14 times over the years. Uh-huh. And um, Alma teaches at the LDS Institute. At the time he was there, he was 
an LDS bishop. And, um, yeah, there have been huge changes. Um, I mean, in 19, prior to 1978, blacks were not allowed into the priesthood. And it was declared to be a revelation from God that could never be changed. But when there was outside pressure, all of a sudden, the revelation changed. And so, um, you know, now they, 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 things that were given as revelations before, they, uh, Brigham Young's been largely thrown under the bus about anything theological. <laughs> wow. You know, when I first started dealing with the book Mormon Doctrine, uh, was a very, very popular book. Uh, nearly every Mormon missionary would have a copy of it. And the LDS Church has allowed it to go out of print, and um, he, he's he's been basically consigned to the to the memory hole. He um, he's been expunged to a great extent from from Mormon history because uh, the man who wrote it. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie, because um, he he drew some very clear lines about this is what we believe, and Mormons don't want to do that anymore. They they don't want to right. set a, a target. Yeah. And so, you know, the Mormonism of 30 years ago got a lot of flack from Walter Martin and. Um, all these other, you know, evangelical apologists. And so they they basically repackaged themselves and, uh, you know, now they're very hard to nail down on much of anything. It's very emotive, very experiential, and uh, as a consequence, They've made it harder for evangelicals to deal with them, but they've also made it harder for their, for themselves to deal with outside pressures. I mean, they they folded on polygamy um, theoretically in 1890. It, it really wasn't until a number of years later that they finally clamped down on polygamy in the main group. But um, it, but then 1978, blacks in the priesthood. Now they're getting all kinds of pressure from the homosexual lobby. Oh. And with this now warm, fuzzy Mormonism, it's, and with postmodern culture in general, they, they've tried to maintain this, this sort of schizophrenia where they have a public face that's very, you know, we never say anyone's wrong. Um, you know, we say bring all your truth and we'll just add to it. And, you know, we are the world kind of uh, persona. And But then at the same time maintain the idea we are the only true and living church on the face of the earth today. Well, with the culture doing what it's done, there has been... Uh, the, the public face has been seeping more and more into a lot of the leadership. 
And so um, they, the Mormon Church would, led the fight for Proposition 8 in California a few years ago, but they got so burned by the blowback that they were behind the Boy Scout Compromise. Uh, Mormons, wow. Mormon sponsor, I think it's 37% of all the Boy Scout troops in the in the world. And so they could have vetoed what the Scouts were doing. They could have broken with the Scouts. They've done neither. Uh, they did finally, under some pressure, um, stop doing some things with the Scouts more recently. But in in the when when they had people marching in the streets here in Salt Lake protesting Proposition 8 passing. The Mormons did what they did when blacks um, were, were raising problems. They threw money at it. They gave money to the uh, Pride Center here, um, basically a large undisclosed gift, uh-huh. uh, you know, an undisclosed amount. And they started quietly at first, but then very publicly by the time it it reached the state level, pushing for laws prohibiting discrimination in housing or employment based on um, sexual orientation or identity. Could a a practicing um, homosexual be a member of the LDS church, or is that still kind of... Uh, basically, if you don't make too big a stink about it, you can be okay. a member. Um, you you you're not supposed to be um, you're not supposed to be temple worthy. If you're if you're blatantly doing it, um, they will put you out. And they've 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 been sending mixed signals about exactly what that'll do. Uh, some some of their some of their protocols were leaked last year, and they're they're not supposed to allow children living in uh, homosexual homes to be baptized until they get to eighteen and things like this. Okay. But but the pressure um, when they threw money at black churches back in in the 70s they found that they got a lot of support and and the crisis largely went away when when they've thrown money at homosexuals they found that they just redouble their efforts it's like they smell blood in the water Um, Utah is a lot of people are on the rolls of the Mormon Church, and they leave Mormonism. You know, as I said, they tend to go towards atheism. the The mayor of Salt Lake City, which is the largest city in the state, but it's it's only part of the Salt Lake Valley. It, uh, there are, I think, 14, 15, 16 cities here in the valley, of which Salt Lake is one of them. There's a million people in the whole valley. I think there's 180,000 in Salt Lake, but the mayor of Salt Lake. Was, uh, is an open lesbian who has flown the rainbow flag from City Hall. And she, def- wow. in basically a two-person race, she defeated an, an Al Gore-style Democrat. Um, she's more of a Bernie Sanders-style Democrat. 
And wow. those were the two choices. Um, the Democratic nominee for the United States Senate was a bag boy at a local grocery store whose only qualification was that he was a transvestite. This, this was this is for the United States Senate. This is not a state senator or something like this. He got nearly 40% of the vote. Wow. So Mormonism, I mean, Utah, when people leave, they have no basis on which for much of anything. This is one of the reasons we did a video called um, An Earnest a Christian that more directly responds to um, Matthew Vines, but but deals with what is the biblical view of, of homosexuality, and you can see that at gaychristian.video. Yeah, but, and um, uh, you can find it on our, our podcast, too, if you just uh, type in Jason Wallace Theology Matters. I think we did two or three shows on that, so that's right. That's interesting. It's, it is, uh, it's interesting dynamics there uh for sure <laughs> very interesting talk to us uh, a little bit about this the the latest video here after mormonism um now what maybe walk us through kind of the the premise of that and uh yeah what, one more observation i think you might like on uh, yeah, mormonism yeah. uh sort of a lead into that mormonism is very much run by businessmen today uh-huh. And and they're doing what businesses are doing elsewhere. They seem to be adopting the same kind of assimilation that the the mainline Protestant churches have followed. Uh, the reorganized uh, Church of Latter Day Saints, uh, the RLDS, uh, which is now called Communities of Christ, they did that twenty thirty years ago, and they don't stand for much of anything anymore. They're very much like a you know, like United Church of Christ or something like that. They're, they they have some mysticism, but they don't really believe much of anything. And I I think there's a there's a definite tendency towards that in the main group. And whether that continues or not, I don't know. But but anyway, this new video we we've done things dealing with presenting the gospel to Mormons and trying to shake them up in their commitment to Mormonism so that they'll look at what the Bible says about who God is, who Jesus is. But they've had so many lies told to them that they bring with them out of the LDS church that poison them against the truth that we wanted to do something to try to counter those lies, to challenge those presuppositions. And so we we have three big sections in this new video. It's um, the lies my church taught me about the Bible, the lies my church taught me about Jesus, and the lies my church taught me about other churches. And so we, we try to show them that you know the Mormons lied to you, but they lied to you about more than you know. And you need to examine the baggage that you brought with you, basically. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's I guess one of the hardest things is to get through uh, when people have been truly hurt and feel like they've been 
uh, trade. I know even with my, my own parents, uh, you know, my mother uh, actually came, well, she was born in England and uh, came came from England with, with her parents uh, to Utah. And I think it was the Mormon church that sponsored them. And, and uh, that's kind of how they got really involved and, uh, you know, grew up her whole life in, in the Mormon church. And, uh, you know, after a few discussions, uh, you know, my father who, who had not grown up uh, in a particularly religious household, but, you know, uh, you start having kids and getting older, you start thinking about, you know, things like uh, how you want to raise your kids and that. And uh, he worked with a guy who was an evangelical uh, Christian and uh, loaned him Walter Martin's uh, Maze of Mormonism. And it was that book that uh, I think led him and my mother out. But I mean, even to this day, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, skepticism and we're, you know, just worry that, uh, you know, um, I don't know, I guess everything's a cult or you're being brainwashed. And so how do you break through some of that? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you minister to people that have been, maybe feel like they've been lied to for you know, 20, 30 years. It's tough. I, 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 there's no easy way. I, the way that I try to deal with it is to help them better understand the lies they've been told and get them to sort of back up and look at it and then see, see what the Mormon church was playing off of. Um, you know, Mormonism basically tries basically makes people feel pious in their ignorance um, Mormonism like a lot of cults it's an inward spiritual witness against actually taking up uh, the Bible and reading it, um, you know what what matters is burning in your bosom not what the not what the Bible says. And yeah. so one, you know, so one of the things we do in the video is we go through showing how they typically reach out to non-Mormons. They they read James one five to them. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And then they use that as a springboard to then say. You see, if you ask God, God will give you wisdom. They ignore the rest of the Bible, including the parts right. where, you know, where, where it says things like the scriptures are able to make one wise. Um, instead of reading the rest of the Bible, they have you pray for a burning in your bosom, which is better than the Bible. And that points you to the fact that the Book of Mormon is true. But the Book of Mormon isn't really any more scripture to them than the Bible is, the way Christians would think of scripture. Book, every book is sort of almost window dressing. The heart of Mormonism is to do what the prophet tells you. And if it's 180 degrees opposite of what the Book of Mormon and the Bible say, or if it's 180 degrees opposite of what previous prophets said, that doesn't matter. Um, 
in, in the video we say, you know, the funny thing is that um, the Bible, the burning in your bosom, and the Book of Mormon are then trumped by revelations of those higher up in the church. And try to show them the games. We show them that um, the Book of Mormon is not true. And the burning in your bosom that, that most Mormons turn back to, to no truth, that's what led them into Mormonism in the first place. And we try to get them to come back to the Bible and read it for what it actually says and deal with the Jesus who's there, not the Jesus edited and redefined by the Mormon Church. And we believe that... Go ahead. No, go go right ahead. We believe the, the power is in God's Word and His Spirit and that the sheep will hear the shepherd's voice. And so we try... We try to, in this video, there's, there's a number of lies that Mormon Church tells about the Bible that we show them how they were just lying about it because the Bible, if actually read in context, tears the, everything out from underneath Mormonism. It, it's only when you have a superficial knowledge of the Bible that Mormonism sounds plausible if you really care about truth. And, you know, the sad reality is a whole lot of Mormons don't care what is true. What's true is what works for them. Right. But would, would you guys um, would you guys make the distinction? Um, and I found it somewhat helpful when I'm speaking with those who kind of coming out of this um, that that uh, there may be, like you're saying, I think you have different maybe people that have higher up positions in the church or something that may not be being honest. Um, But the average Mormon, um, how would you, I mean, how would you describe them? Would you describe them as, as uh, like I saw, there was a recent video that was going around on Facebook um, kind of mocking uh, Mormonism and the elders. And one of the things that starts out with is that, you know, basically calling these, you know, the elders, uh, which are, you know, 18-year-olds or whatever old it is, uh, basically accusing them of being liars. And I don't, you know, I don't know how, how helpful that really is. And I, I would just like your thoughts on that. Um, I think I would agree that I think there are those maybe in higher positions and maybe know, you know, some things that maybe there's some definite deceit and dishonesty. Um, would you say that the average Mormon uh, is is lying or, or would you just say that they're mistaken kind of theologically? How would you approach that? I'm not God, so I, I try to err on the side of grace. Yeah. The reality is Mormons have typically a very different view of lying than uh, non-Mormons would have. Um, Truth for them has been driven home to be much more relative in general. I mean, you you run a spectrum. Uh, some Some of the accusations of lying might strike a chord with some Mormons. A lot of missionaries are going through it because of family pressures, and they wouldn't do it if they didn't have to. Uh, the reality is that to do um, well in business, to marry well, all these things, you need to do your mission. You need to do. You need to go jump through the hoops. 
and you know there's there was a story recently of a grandfather who abandoned his uh, grandson who didn't want to go on his mission at a national park <laughs> until the until the grand until the grandson uh, came to his senses and decided to do his mission. Uh, so that might resonate with some folks. I I don't think that that's wise. Uh, because we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And the reality is there are a lot of sincere Mormons who think that they really do have the truth, and they really are. Um, right. They really are being faithful, and there's a bunch of Mormons who don't believe it but stay active because there are consequences of leaving. Yes. Yeah, there, if you leave Mormonism... You don't just leave, leave a church. You leave your community. Mm-hmm. You and yeah. all your neighbors go to the same ward, and you're going to be ostracized. Your children are going to be ostracized. I, a lot of these folks are related through marriage and, and otherwise, and by blood, and one of the one of the challenges of being a pastor here in Salt Lake is that a lot of people when they leave Mormonism they want to leave Utah to get away from that dynamic. Yep. But um, it, it there are sincere, faithful Mormons who are I think honestly trying to make sense of things, and we aim yeah. our apologetics at them. There, there, there are some folks who aim their apologetics at uh, the malcontents, and that actually tends to harden the true believers because they they there's there's a lot of criticism on the internet about Mormonism. Uh, Sean McCraney has sort of started his own cult. Um, he's former Mormon. And he he plays on people's bitterness, and that's how Mormonism got started. You, you play yeah. on people's, you articulate their frustrations. The reality is that people are much more likely to follow someone who gives them a common enemy than someone who gives them a positive vision. I think. If you if you can tell people the source of all your problems is X, come join us as we fight against X. Uh, then they and if they and if you can make them feel superior in in their ignorance, you can mock the people with whom they disagree and and you can get a following. And so the Mormons did that, and biblical churches back in the 1800s, I am, to some extent, they're still doing that today. McCraney has basically done the same thing that the early Mormons did against Mormonism. He, he's, um, he feeds people's bitterness with Mormon hierarchy. He, he lambs yeah. things. Uh, the Mormon church owns City Creek, which is a, a commercial development in downtown Salt Lake. And that, that's um, 
but unfortunately he's instead of leading them to the to the Christ of the Bible, he's led them to basically, in my view, a repackaged Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. He uh, the way, and that's I guess how it starts is when they are able to articulate frustrations and just kind of because uh, uh, I saw that discussion you had on his television show, and I remember I think it was his daughter or something was saying, uh, you know, the only thing that reminded her of Mormonism was you know when you would you had mentioned about going through your ordination and um, you know the elders laying hands on you. And, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that made her think, you know, therefore, you know, <laughs> Mormonism. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. That's one of the things that we have to try to, to counter here is that, oh, unfortunately, McCraney in his early days before he started preaching Harris, um, was a lot like a lot of other churches here. They, they, Instead of presenting a biblical alternative to um, Mormonism, basically are presenting a radical individualism. Me, my Bible, and my personal relationship with Jesus, I define it to be. And what you end up with is basically you get a lot of former Mormons who have now declared themselves prophets. Uh, even though they wouldn't necessarily use that language, but they don't—they don't actually follow Christ. They don't actually turn away from sexual immorality. They don't unite with a biblical church. They don't submit to actual elders. And you know, it, it's just trading one error for another. But um, what we did is we tried to show them the biblical Jesus, and we tried to show them biblical church one of the things that comes as a shock to a lot of former Mormons is when you present a truly Protestant view of the church that uh, yes there was a falling away as Paul told the Thessalonians but it was not a complete falling away and that the historic Catholic church is not Roman Catholic Right, and we go through Athanasius and his history, and Athanasius, you know what historians call Athanasius Contramundum. He's standing against church councils. He's he's standing against uh, the Bishop of Rome, you know, later to be known as Pope Liberius. He's standing against all of these folks on the authority of the Word of God, and Orthodoxy triumphs not through the power of the sword, but in spite of the Roman Emperor doing everything he can against what was decided at the Council of Nicaea. He, you know, Athanasius is, is exiled for 31 years, off and on. Uh, we're trying to find what happened there. And right. Mormons don't know the history. Most, most evangelicals have no sense of this history. You know, their, their view of church history is there were the apostles, there was something about a reformation. And then there was Calvary Chapel, you know, I mean, or something like that. I mean, <laughs> you're you know, right. I mean, it's a very bad, uh, it's very, um, 
the low view of the church. And, uh, you know, what I, what I've seen from that is sharp Roman Catholic apologists can come in and, uh, and just uh, easily turn away, turn or, or get those Protestants who really don't understand church history and don't understand uh, church, you know, ecclesiology to where they're, you know, they're, they're criticizing, you know, uh, basically solo scriptura and uh, converting to Rome or orthodoxy because of, uh, they're basically attacking a straw man of the Protestant view. So much of what you see in America is, is the result of Protestantism trying to be popular and watering down and sweetening things up. And as a consequence, someone raised in a typical evangelical church has no basis on which to stand against any good argumentation. Even if they, know, even if they can parrot the right answers, they don't really have much depth. Um, you know, part part of it goes back to the whole Calvary Chapel um, mentality. So many so many churches in America thought that Jesus was coming back in 1981 or 84 or 88 or, you know, you pick <laughs> uh, that that they didn't even try to be churches anymore. They they wanted to be evangelistic societies to grab as many people off the sinking ship before uh, the rapture came along, and. They didn't disciple their kids. They just got them to pray the sinner's prayer and then, you know, figured that'd be good enough to get them raptured out. And they never have to actually stand against anything. And that, that was bad theology in the first place, but it has gutted the church. Yeah. I mean, I went to a Southern Baptist church on vacation that had... Uh, fog machine and laser lights and uh, they weren't doing vacation Bible school they were doing a sports camp and the great theme of the week was it's cool to be kind and you know um, theology matters like you you know like the name of your Hey's there. Yes, theology matters. And if you if you feed a child on nothing but cotton candy, it may not kill them, but they're going to be horribly, horribly malnourished and unhealthy. It may be bright, it may be colorful, it may be sweet, but it rots their teeth and gives them diabetes and gives them malnutrition. And, and that's what we see you know, in the church. Yeah. So part of part of what I try to drive home in this newest video is a biblical view of the church and giving that in a historic context. Mormon, the Do Mormon you, God is the Mormon oh, God go is ahead, not yep. sovereign. So, mm-hmm. you know, we show that in spite of all the sin, in spite of all the problems in the Old Testament Jesus came at the appointed time because God works all things after the counsel of his own will. And just as the Old Testament is messy, church history is messy because you have a bunch of like me involved in it. (laughs) 
And in spite of all that, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. And, you know, every church this side of heaven is going to be some mixture of truth and error, but there's a fundamental difference between a true church and a synagogue of Satan. And, uh, you know, we go through these things uh, in terms of dealing with the Bible. We deal with things that would, would help not just Mormons, but it help evangelicals deal with Catholicism and uh, the you know liberal critics. We deal with Bart Ehrman. We deal with the, mm-hmm. the Apocrypha. We deal with um, questions of canon. We deal with all these you know various things that you get. Yeah. And um, well, one of the things you know we we started a, a Reformed Baptist. Uh, church plan out here and one of the things that we incorporate in every service is uh the you know the Nicene Creed <laughs> and uh and uh, right now we're working through the through the Heidelberg catechism as well um how important do you think yeah how, how important do you think that is cuz you know as you mentioned just those things you know the apocrypha and some of the other things um you know the catechisms the creeds they they hit that how important is is it uh, do you think that um, you know Protestant churches kind of return to the catechisms and confessions and creeds? I think it's vitally important. Uh, Mormons have, for Mormons, the visible church is a central point in their theology, and most evangelicals skip that altogether. They they're, they're appealing just to this very personal relationship and it presents to me I mean I think it they're they're presenting less than the whole counsel of God it's not that the church saves us by any stretch I mean um, I'm not arguing that but they're not presenting a biblical counterpoint and the Mormons the Mormons recognize there's a visible church in the scriptures I've I sometimes will build a bridge with Mormons by saying, if I was a Mormon, I would be hard-pressed to take many of my critics seriously because unlike many of your critics, you have a visible church. And it doesn't take much knowledge of the New Testament to realize they had a visible church. With elders, there was accountability. There was discipline. Um, you, You have a call to holiness when many of your critics pride themselves on how worldly they can be. Because they're no longer under law, they're under grace, which is you know, a misunderstanding of what Paul's saying there. Uh, St. Paul contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Um, you know, we're not saved by our works. Um, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 uh, you know, it says, not, not of works, lest any man should boast. Very next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he has ordained that we should walk therein. And um, Mormons think that setting aside one day in seven to focus on God and to lay aside their labors is, a, is to be called a delight when many evangelicals think that it's, you know, you mentioned the Sabbath, you mentioned tithing, they just start freaking out. That's legalism, that's legalism. Right. Um, and What we've tried to do in this video is to present 
to former Mormons in particular, um, there is a biblical church of which Mormonism is simply a counterfeit. And I think it's vitally important that Protestants remember what the Reformation was all about. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many so-called Reformed folk seem to think that no one really read the Bible until the 1500s, and then they, they read the Bible and they came up with the Reformation. <laughs> and that this was something new. And uh, the reality is the Protestant reformers were very, very clear. The scriptures are our, own, our only infallible rule of faith and practice. But that wasn't their only argument. They argued that church history is messy, but the printing press that had made the Bible available also made the early church fathers, uh, the early church authors, uh, available. And not only were the Reformers reading the Bible contrary to medieval Roman Catholicism, so were the church fathers, by and large. The church fathers are a mixed bag. You can find some goofy ones. You know, right. You can find, I mean, in our own day, um, you and I disagree on baptism. Uh John MacArthur, I, I know of no one in my generation who's been used more for calling the gospel in America than John MacArthur, but I think he's goofy on dispensationalism and baptism. Doesn't mean I don't appreciate what he's done. Right. Um, yeah. But but I but I can rejoice that in terms of who is God, who is man, what is sin, who is Jesus Christ, what is salvation, we're all on the same side against Roman Catholicism and a host of other errors, and so I, 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 I'm a Calvinist. I know we're all messed up, including me. So <laughs> I'm not looking for perfection this side of heaven, but right. um, but the Church Fathers, in his final edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin quoted from the Church Fathers over 800 times. Wow. And one of the things that we have to regain, I think, to, to fight the errors that surround us of Roman Catholicism, of dispensationalism, and a whole bunch of other things, the true Protestant, we are the Catholic Church. Man. It, you know, the, we, we recite the Nicene Creed every week. Yeah. And the, the Protestant Reformation wasn't about leaving Catholicism. Right. It was about Rome had left Catholicism. And yes. we were going to hold to the historic biblical faith. Yeah. If the, 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 the Protestant Reformation in uh, Zurich, which starts at the same time that Luther's nailing the 95 Theses, to the door in Wittenberg, it didn't start with just reading the Bible. I'm not d- diminishing that at all. The Protestant Reformation right. was about the Bible. You, you read the Bible. You taught the Bible. You preached the Bible. You sang the Bible. You prayed the Bible. The Bible is God's word to man. 
And um, but Ulrich Zwingli was reading not only the Bible, he was reading the commentaries written by Chrysostom over a thousand years earlier on First Matthew and then Romans. And what he reads is the same basic understanding of justification that Luther and Zwingli had against Roman Catholicism. And that's why we can't we can't give that up. Because once you do that, essentially what you're saying is you're the new kid on the block and that your <laughs> your religion didn't start until the fifteen hundreds. And uh, if that's the case, that's that's very problematic. But it's like you say, you know, um, Catholicism, we're not giving that up. <laughs> you're a Christian, you're a Catholic. You know, uh, Rome is the ones, and uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, they're the ones that uh, need to adjust. And, uh, not, you know, it's not something we, we're going to give up. At least it's not something I'm going to give up. I, I love doing the creeds. I love doing the confessions. I love the church fathers, what a what an incredible gift! Not infallible, obviously, but what a gift that God has given the church to have uh, just brilliant men and and their works preserved that we can read and gain understanding. And uh, it's it's killing Protestantism in America. There, there, uh, I've seen so many reports within. Few years of so many evangelicals, and I've experienced it firsthand going to you know uh, going to SES where you have you know a lot of uh, a lot of guys that have converted, and I'm not blaming SES for that, but um, of just a not understanding church history, not understanding the solas, and uh, just um, man causes significant issues. Younger people want depth. And they want to feel like they're connected to uh, Christianity that that uh, you know didn't start with Billy Graham. Well, whether they want it or whether they don't, that's what we have to give them. Yes. And uh, you know, at the end of his third missionary journey, Paul stops in Miletus and sends for the Ephesian elders. And he tells them, he says, "I am free from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God." The, the problem, even in reform circles, is that most people don't want to be another link in the chain. They want to do things their own way. And we, we end up with a lot of um, egotists that they think no one really understood the Bible before them. Ah. Uh, if I'm the first guy to ever understand the Bible, why should I have any confidence in, in my understanding? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, and I see a lot of guys coming out of supposedly reformed seminaries that think they can exegete their way into something new and novel. I, 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 I talked to a seminary grad a couple years ago, and. I ask you. Um, um, anyway, um, he wants to know if he can call you back. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, um, okay. All right. The um, I, 
I was talking to a seminary grad who was um, talking about how badly misunderstood this new theologian had been, and I, I asked him, I said, do, do you hold to the perspicuity of Scripture? He said, which is you know, the idea that Scripture's clear, it can be understood. And he said, yes. And I said, what's the implication of that for new doctrine? And he said, um, uh, I, I don't follow you. I said, if the, can, if the Bible can be understood, shouldn't it have been understood very long time ago, or shouldn't we just hang it up? Oh, no. We didn't have biblical theology before. Oh. And, it, you know, I can look back through church history, and I can see God's sovereignty. I can see him building his church. And, you know, it, to me it's a very different view than most of, I mean, most most Protestant denominations have long since abandoned anything remotely Protestant and anything remotely Christian in a lot of them. Um, most evangelical churches, it's all about, it's really not that different from Mormonism. It's a, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. And wow. and it won't stand against the assaults of the enemy. Protestant Reformation was in the crucible of you 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 would die have to die to hold to the biblical faith. And you know the the Westminster Confession comes out of that crucible. And even after the Westminster Confession, people in this country they don't understand to attend a Presbyterian worship service in the 1660s, 60, late 1660s through the 1870s and through most of the 1680s, to be caught attending a Presbyterian worship service in Scotland, to hold to the Westminster Confession, meant that you would be imprisoned, possibly tortured, and possibly exiled to die in the sugar plantations or be executed. Wow. Over eight, over eighteen thousand either died in the sugar plantations or were tortured, and killed. And yeah. you know, we've got it comfortable for now. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not picking dates here. You know, like some kind of dispensationalist or something. Um, <laughs> but. I see the wrath of God all over this country. Yeah. And I mean the way that people have come out not not in I have no problem with people having respectful criticism of James White. But I don't hear respectful criticism of James White. I hear people coming out of the woodwork attacking him as an yeah. apostate as a useful idiot and all this stuff. Uh, I don't agree with James on everything, but I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with him over this kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. And you yeah, have. You, <laughs> you've got, you have. You've, got, you, you, you've opened up, helped, helped open open the doors to have those important dialogues. Loving your neighbor enough and, uh, and with Dr. White. It's you look at what defi- defines much of the church in this country. You've got Ebenezer Lutheran Church 
in San Francisco, ELCA congregation, the largest Lutheran denomination in the country. They're making Asherah dolls. They're making they're making idols specifically condemned in God's word to worship. The Episcopal oh. Church, 15 years ago, um, roughly, they had an alternative uh, worship or an alternative communion service on their denominational website, where you could offer raisin cakes to the Queen of Heaven <laughs> instead of having bread and wine. Um, Wow. That's just flat out paganism. Yeah. The the Presbyterian Church USA, the mainline Presbyterian Church, you know, they don't want to get left behind. They were praying to Allah last year <laughs> at their general assembly. Then then you look at the broad evangelical churches. They're they're becoming the old Protestant, the, the old liberal churches, and then so many of the people who think they're standing for truth they they claim to love Christ enough to stand against the error they don't love Christ enough to put up with sinful people in his church mm. sorry I'm going going a bit of far field here but no no I think I think it's it's important because you know uh, you know after Mormonism you know now what so you, you have all these Issues within Protestantism, as you've just mentioned, which are real issues. I 100% with you. Um, man, I can see how that would be very hard for the Mormon to think, okay, what is it that I am, you know, now leaving Mormonism? What is it that, what do you trust? You know, what do you, what do you do? I think this is why one of the reasons I think it's so important that churches have a good, strong confession of faith. You know, our church is uh, the 1689, which is, you know, the Westminster 2.0. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll tell you, <laughs> I didn't know if you'd like that one or not. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I've been on... But anyway, go ahead. If Presbyterians didn't have Reformed Baptists to tease, we wouldn't have anybody to tease. There you go. There you go, or the little step brother. But uh, you know, I've been on so many of the church websites today. You can't find the statement of faith. You can't. And you, it's very hard to find. You know, one that's committed to a historic confession. But to find a a confession of faith of what is it that they believe? Um, what kind of? What are your thoughts on that? And what 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 are some advice you give to to those who are leaving Mormonism and just see this? Bastion of confusion. Basically, what I would tell them is that just because there are different kinds of counterfeits doesn't mean there's not a genuine. Um, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to throw alternative Jesuses at us. Um, you know, in Mormonism, Jesus is our elder spirit brother. Uh, to his witnesses, he's the Archangel Michael. To the Episcopal Church, he's a socialist revolutionary. Um, none of those are the Jesus of the Bible. It's not because the Bible's unclear. It's because people don't like what it says, that they come up with their own alternatives. They don't want to simply say, we hate, the Jesus, we hate Jesus. 
they they want to repackage him into a, a way that they can say they love him without having to deal with the parts they don't like. So, you know, I I, I try to take them back to Jesus and show them. Um, you know, they they're showing they're doing counterfeit Jesuses. Uh, they're doing counterfeit churches too. And just because there's a counterfeit Jesus doesn't mean there isn't a real Jesus. Just because there's counterfeit churches doesn't mean there's not a, a real church. Right. And, um, you know, for all the teasing, uh, we love our Reformed Baptist brethren. Uh, James White has, you know, I, I can think of no better brother to us. Uh, he, he came the last two years and did apologetics conferences for us because he knew that we were a little struggling church um, that having trouble making ends meet in Utah, and he knows it's he knows it's Christ Church, and so he he came to help, um, and we we rejoice in that, but yeah. um, I I think that things are I think we're going. I think we're going to get forced into a lot closer community with each other. I think we're going to have to find out what the dissenters were like. Um, a lot of folks think that Bunyan was a Baptist. Uh, there's evidence that undermines that, but one of the problems is that he was not strictly a Baptist. He was a dissenter, and the dissenters got all forced together because they were all outlaws, basically. And, you know, my home church was founded in 1755 for all the dissenters from the Church of England, agreeable to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Well, that was the mother church of the Baptists for five years until they split off and passed with them. Um, but when I, when I last went over, or when I went over and had what McCraney called the confrontation, uh, I always feel like I'm going into a WWE event. Um, one of his guys labeled me Jason the Madman Wallace. The first event was the Inquisition. The second one was the Confrontation. Well, the, the second one, I knew what Sean was going to be asking. He he was chomping at the bit. He finally got to his time for his questions. And he asked me, he said, do you consider me a brother in the Lord? And I I think I shocked him when I said no. Wow. I told him, I said, I said, Sean, I said, you're teaching heresy. I said, but it's a lot easier than that. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if someone will not hear the church, let them be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. I said, you're proud of the fact you won't listen to any church anywhere. And so I can't be more loving than Jesus. Right. He, McCraney claims that the um, that everybody gets out of hell eventually, that the second coming was in 70 A.D., and there is no future coming of Christ. And he says that uh, the Trinity is polytheistic paganism, or excuse me, is unbiblical garbage rooted in polytheistic paganism. I have been called a heretic far more times in Utah than he has. Because, because number one, I say... 
Trinity is biblical, and I yeah. say that he's not, and I say that he's not my brother in Christ, because um, he's a heretic, and he is he is not part of any visible church. He's not accountable to anybody. He is um, he he's made himself made himself clear. He is the enemy of any church anywhere. He says the church is all spiritual. It's not physical. That's Gnosticism. Right. But but unfortunately, so is a lot of what calls itself evangelicalism. I mean, how, how many churches do you know of that really preach that you must be born again in the biblical sense? Right. And how many basically teach you the sinner's prayer as a password that when you get before a holy God, if you just know the right answer, Jesus died for me, you get in. Yeah. You know, the heart of stone is not taken out. The heart of, there's no new heart put in, in no one enjoying the Holy Spirit. Devin, a local self-described independent fundamentalist church of America congregation, says that practicing homosexuals should never doubt their salvation. Uh, the Apostle Paul in First in 6 says, don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, they don't understand the new birth, and so they say that that's adding words to grace. Wrong. I'm not saved by my works, and I'm not kept by my works. But if my heart's been changed, I can't wallow in sin. If I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me, I can't live like that. That's right. In homosexuality or adultery or theft or covetousness or any of the other things in First Corinthians 6. But I did a debate with the pastor of First Baptist of Salt Lake City who says that homosexuality is a gift from God. <laughs> I couldn't even yeah. get the evangelical. We've done two debates up there. I, I debated him. Before that, I debated the pastor of the largest mainline Presbyterian church. Did you know we couldn't even get the evangelical campus ministries to come or even tell their students about it? I'm not surprised at all because <laughs> I do campus ministry. I, I am not. That does not surprise me one bit, and it's, uh, it's shocking. I mean, it's sad. A, a, an intervarsity campus minister said um, that though he was personally sympathetic to my position, he did not believe that it would be helpful for the students to see Christians arguing. Wow. And that's in Utah. I mean, that's conservative. That isn't Boston, Massachusetts, or New Jersey. That's Utah. We're, we're going to leave if, if if current trends hold, we're going to leapfrog San Francisco. Wow. So, please pray for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, appreciate you coming on the show. We will put a link up on our Theology Matters page, of course, to the show. And to uh, to the video, and if they just click on, click on the Ancient Paths uh, page there, they can find all the videos, including your your uh, older television shows. Is that correct? Yeah. They, uh, well, the Ancient Paths 
website needs to be updated. The easiest thing is um, they can go to the YouTube channel Ancient Paths TV, or they can just go to LDS.video for the seven LDS videos we've done, GateChristian.video for the one an earnest plea to gay Christians. Uh, we're planning on doing some others in the future. We've purchased uh, the domain Quran.video or Mitzvah.video and Roman Catholicism.videos. Oh, uh, that's great. We're, Very cool. If, if I show up dead, I want there to be a list of suspects, but um, <laughs> that, and, that and when the next Democratic president gets in, um, if the conspiracy theory guys are right, I want to be on the red list, not on the blue one. I, let them go ahead and take me out quickly. Send me to heaven. <laughs> but, but at any rate, um, now I, for, all joking aside, Christ is one, and he will not yes. lose any of black. And so I grieve over what I see out there, but um, part of uh, the reason we had an interruption a little bit earlier, we've got folks literally going door-to-door -door today um, trying to share the gospel with folks. And um, I just got a text from one of them wanting to know which direction to go next. But um, we're going to make hey, hay while the sun yeah, but, amen. Um, where where is uh, yeah. what's your church your church website and uh, people anybody out there that's listening if they're wanting to uh, come attend your services uh, where where can they go to to do that? Very simple, gospelutah.org. Gospelutah.org. All right, and I know you meet on Sundays and that. So, and you have a sister congregate. Do you do you drive down to Ogden, or do you have another uh, elder there? Or? Uh, we've had a pastor up there uh, in Ogden. He's uh, the congregation is actually meeting this Sunday to consider his resignation, and I'm going to be preaching up there and then uh, moderating the meeting. So I may be driving up there a whole lot more than uh, <laughs> I have been in the past. Yeah, Sundays will be be more busy for you, but we will keep you in prayer and uh, look forward to having you come on again. When you get, uh, get any of the other videos up, let us know. We love having you on and uh, people, people really enjoy hearing you and uh, we will continue to pray for you and your ministry. Hey, thank you so much, Devin. It's a privilege to always, uh, as always to be on your show. Lord bless your work. Amen. God bless. All right, folks, uh, join us again next week for uh, Theology Matters with the Plues. We uh, plan on having, I think, uh, uh, Mr. Lenhart on the show. He was in here at the beginning. If you're just now coming in and catching us towards the end, you can go back and listen to that. Um, I think we're going to be talking about Genesis and uh, some of those issues in there. So appreciate you guys joining us. Pray for us. Uh, School starts up here pretty soon um, in the last, next three or four weeks. So we will be back on the campus of Winthrop University doing Ratio Christi. Uh, exciting things going on there. We're going to be doing uh, Stealing from God uh, from Frank Turek and uh, that curriculum there. And uh, just be praying that it will be a fruitful time of ministry to where we can really reach out to the students and uh, share the gospel of grace with them. 
and let them see that there really are these answers to the to the questions. So many times uh, they're being told there are no answers. We appreciate you listening to us and uh, look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless.